Are you going to be in Chicago July 13th for the True Crime Podcast Festival, but feel like one day just isn't quite enough? Do you feel like the best way to grasp the intricacies of the criminal justice system are with inappropriate language and alcohol? If so, you're in luck. The night before the festival, on July 12th, at the Arrogant Frog on West Fullerton, at 7 p.m., there's going to be a collaboration event between Getting Off Podcast and Ignorance Was Bliss. Get tickets and information at IWBpodcast slash live show. Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we share stories of people who experienced horrible things and try to imagine what they went through, as well as look for opportunities that could have made a difference and encourage people to help others that are being abused. Healthcare can be a touchy subject. There are a lot of differing opinions on healthcare and what treatments people are willing to receive. Some people may have strong religious reasons for not accepting certain forms of treatment, and some people refuse treatment because they just don't believe in doctors. We accept that everyone has the right to make their own decisions for how to treat their own bodies, but what about when it comes to making decisions about treatment for children that can't make their own decisions? How far is too far? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And tonight's story was suggested to us by Robin on Facebook. So thank you so much, Robin. We really appreciate you being a part of the community over in our Facebook group. And if you listening want to be a part of our Facebook group, the link is in the show notes. Always. Mm-hmm. And we also want to say a thank you to everybody who wished us a happy anniversary on Saturday. That was so sweet. We got so many nice comments. I know. You guys are so sweet to us. <laughs> and also, we want to let you know that later today, one of our best friends, Ashley, who is also a blogger and will be promoting her page later, is going to help us record a special Patreon episode that we commissioned her to write for us. And in that episode, we're going to talk about Law & Order SVU episodes that were based off of real events. Yeah, so that should be pretty fun. If yeah. you want to hear that, when this comes out, it'll be over on our Patreon at the $2 level. So go check that out. So tonight's story is about Alex, or full name is Alexandru Radita. So you're ready to jump into it, Rosie? Definitely. Emil and Rodica Radita were immigrants from Romania who had settled in British Columbia, Canada, and they had eight children. Yeah, that's a lot of kids. They could have had their own reality show. But um, just... To address the pronunciation, I don't know. That's how the um, reporter. reporter pronounced it, Rodica Radita, but I mean, they're Romanian. I don't know. It could be Rodica Radita. Mm-hmm. So if anyone knows for sure, let us know. But well, we did check. Uh-huh. <laughs> so will we, will we <laughs> what should we refer to her as, Ryan? 
Whatever you want. Let's say Rodika. Okay. Okay. Rodika. So, Emil and Rodika's son, one of their sons, was named Alexandru. I wonder if that's a Romanian name. It's spelled with a U at the end instead of an E-W. And, Rosie, I was going to change it to Alex to simplify the writing process, but I know you enjoy saying interesting names, so I didn't. Yeah, that is different. I haven't heard Alexandru before. Yeah. It's either Alex or Andrew, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Alexandru was described as a very vibrant person. He was very artistic and smart. And according to Alexandru's sister, he was one of the mom's favorites. Yeah, and we don't know what his sister's name is because she's a minor and her identity is protected by this publication ban in Canada, kind of like the Jasmine Richardson case when she first went missing. But Alex had some pretty serious health issues that they didn't know about until he was almost three years old. In December of 2000, Alex was really sick. He had been extremely thirsty and complaining of stomach pain. Then he got a fever and started vomiting. So his parents brought him to a hospital in British Columbia. They noticed that he was losing his hair. After running tests on him, they found out that he had type 1 diabetes. This is really scary. And I'm surprised they didn't know about this yet, but I guess it's better late than never. Isn't it a common symptom when you're really thirsty like that? Yeah. So interesting. One of the doctors at the hospital explained the nature of the disease. Yeah, type 1 diabetes is a lifelong condition. Uh, Sometimes it shows up later in life, but you're usually born with it. And it's where your pancreas is incapable of producing insulin, so it requires you to shoot your own insulin every time you eat. Like, your life and nutrition depends on it. So just a brief summary. Insulin's what helps your body break down carbohydrates and store it in your liver for quick energy or in your fat cells once your liver is full. Um, but if you have no insulin, the sugar just builds up in your bloodstream and you become hyperglycemic when you're eating. And also, you go hypoglycemic when you're not eating. Uh, so the hyperglycemia leads to diabetic comas, which is super scary. And um, you have to be trained on exactly how much insulin to take. Because if you do shoot insulin, but you don't eat enough food to use it up, you go hypoglycemic, which is otherwise known as low blood sugar, and it causes extreme fatigue and anxiety and all kinds of crap. And I would imagine, you know, feeling fainty, you know, as as in you feel like you could pass out at any time. So all this to say, it's a very touchy disease, which require, requires treatment and just overall lifestyle changes to be able to survive and live a normal life so you did a good job of explaining that ryan oh thank you diabetes is so confusing to me i know i can i still i mean i don't understand it but you did a good job (laughs) well i've done a lot of research into it because Mm -hmm. i've been pre-diabetic for several years so like i feel like it's it could be in my future if i don't watch it you don't shape up yeah but All that to say that medical treatment and a good understanding of the disease is absolutely necessary for a type 1 diabetic. So after all this explaining from the doctor, I mean, the parents, Rudika and and Emil, got this whole spiel from the doctor. But Rudika, his mom, Alex's mom, was not having it. No, she made it clear that she believed the doctors were wrong and had misdiagnosed her son. And she was determined to prove it. 
Yeah, so that's a pretty bold statement, um, especially when it's her son's body and not her own body. Like, how could she possibly know when it's not her? She can't feel how he feels, and apparently her pride was a lot more important to her than her son's health because she feels the need to prove the doctors wrong. <laughs> this is such a upsetting situation i know the doctors were extremely worried about after hearing this knowing how destructive the disease can be they contacted child protective services who took alex away from his family and the british columbia child services applied to have alex permanently removed from his parents care alex ended up moving in with a foster with foster parents who worked hard to provide good healthy food for him to eat and helped him learn how to use his insulin so even though this was really sad to be taken away from his parents, at least his foster parents seemed like they're providing and doing what's right for him. Yeah, that it was definitely the best decision for his health care at the time because his parents just were not willing to admit that they didn't know everything and that yeah. the, they needed to have, have help from the doctors to take care of their son, you know? Mm -hmm. Like they almost felt threatened that they couldn't take care of the son on their own. Right. Judge Cohead heard the case, but he identified a bias against the parents in the application and said that child services was, quote, making no reasonable effort to maintain this large and otherwise well-parented family. I mean, in a lot of situations, that could be a fair statement. They did seem to be otherwise decent parents. I mean, they had seven other kids that were fine. They're a lot better than a, than a lot of the parents we talk about on here, but um, they apparently had some distrust of authority because their life experiences in Romania, um, you know, authority is scary to them. So, so you can kind of see their side on that, why they wouldn't trust the doctors, but come on, like, there's a child's life involved here, and the doctors are telling you that you need to focus on his health care and mm -hmm. do certain things to keep him alive. Mm -hmm. So, but the judge here is saying that child services is biased against the parents and just, you know, just doesn't want to even try to help the parents work things out. Mm -hmm. So, where did that lead? Well, apparently, there was an incident while Alexandru was in the care of child services. His parents were having a supervised visit with him. And during the visit, he suffered a major hypoglycemic event and almost died. Child services would not allow the parents to help him, even though they could have. The judge cited this as a, quote, monumentally inappropriate lack of trust between the social worker and parents. And then he said a new social worker should have been found at that point with no bias toward the parents. Now, it's true that these are his parents, but what the heck could they have done to help him anyway in, in this situation? They aren't doctors. They don't believe in doctors. And I honestly think the social worker was just trying to do their job and protect Alex here, you know? Yeah. The judge stated that the parents were not blameless, but ultimately decided Alex would be safe at home. In December of 2004, he ruled that Alex could be returned to his parents. He stated that, the Raditas had now accepted the diagnosis of diabetes, and they would now treat it properly given sufficient education and monitoring. The family had not previously experienced a major hospitalization with Alex, as they now had. 
They would therefore know how to look for gradual changes as well as rapid ones. But here's an interesting little detail that he mentioned. Cohen said Alex would be under the watchful eye of school teachers and a family doctor now, which could notify authorities if Alex was ever in trouble. Let me um, just interject here. The judge's name was Cohen. I think I made a typo before and wrote Cohead. You did, yeah. So, so just to clear things up, the judge is Cohen. <laughs> That's good to know, because I was also thinking that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. The social worker fought the decision, but Alex returned to live with his parents in January of 2005. For the next two years, apparently the parents were commended, often, for keeping Alex's diabetes under control. He was slowly gaining weight and progressing through school. But at a doctor visit on January 16, 2008, a doctor noticed that the mother was resisting his recommendation to increase the insulin dosage. Apparently, she thought it was causing cold sores. And after that visit, the doctor never saw Alex again. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a normal process for insulin to be increased, especially with type 1 diabetics. It's a progressive disease, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, so, you know, they have to increase the insulin once in a while, but the mom really did not want to. Hmm. And then they never saw Alex again. So Right. Shortly after this visit, the Raditas moved from British Columbia to Alberta in the Calgary area. They began homeschooling Alexandru, which led him to having very little contact with the outside world. They isolated him from anyone who could have noticed what was going on with this kid and who could have possibly intervened. So, like, like we saw a couple weeks ago with Imani Moss, they're keeping their child as kind of like their dirty little secret. You know, it's almost like they feel ashamed of their child or feel like, he's broken or something and they don't want help from anybody else, but they also don't want anyone to know what's going on. It's really, mm -hmm. it's a sad thing when you're dealing with another life, a child's life. It's not your own life. It's another person. Was there a primary reason for the move because of Alex or was there a different job opportunity or that's a good question. That's not public knowledge, but like, it's really interesting timing for yeah, them to true. all of a sudden, you know, reject what the doctors are saying and then move away. Because right. they did, they were involved with CPS or whatever the Child Protective Services in Canada was there. You know, they had been involved in the past. and mm -hmm. But as we've seen in the past, if you move away, you can kind of evade CPS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, needless to say, this plan did not go well for the family. Alexandru did not have the strength or energy to do things like a normal kid. He spent a lot of time just laying in bed. His muscles started wasting away from lack of use, and he was developing bed sores from being confined to his bed all day, every day. Yeah, that that feeling of your body being in turmoil hormonally and like wonky blood sugars is so crippling like makes you feel exhausted and the whole world just feels dull diabetes is such a draining disease especially if it's not treated but this poor kid is just losing the will to live because his body literally cannot process nutrients the way it needs to and depending on how he's eating 
his blood is either being poisoned by sugars or ketones. I mean, the keto diet's really popular now, and ketones are a wonderful thing for a normal person. But for a type 1 diabetic, they need to be kept under control because ketoacidosis is when ketones just keep building up in the blood. There's no insulin to carry them out. So you can die from having too many ketones in your blood. Really? It's a scary disease. That's crazy. I've never, I never knew that before. Yeah. Well, ketones are like a byproduct of your body eating your fat. Oh, okay. Basically. So when they build up in the blood, it's also, it's just as bad as too much sugar in your blood. Okay. You know? As time went on for Alexandru, things just continued to get worse and worse for him. The pain he was feeling was becoming so unbearable that he was unable to use the toilet. He had to start wearing diapers. And there came a point in time where the only thing his parents could get him to eat was baby food. So this seems like a huge red flag saying, you huge. know, take your kid to the doctor. It's not even that's a what flag. It's like yeah. a loudspeaker. Yeah, flashing lights. <laughs> like, that's what they should have been sensing here in this situation. And they had been warned when he was three years old, you know? But they were in so much denial or else just so proud or something insane that they couldn't bring themselves to seek help to treat his disease. They thought they could control it on their own. At his 15th birthday party, Alexandru looked emaciated and pale. He had a sore on his nose, but someone filled him, filmed him as he held a teddy bear and read a Mickey Mouse birthday card. His arms were nothing but skin and bones. He could barely keep his sunken eyes open or move his fragile fingers to open presents. And I saw pictures of him, and I mean, the lack of energy, common sense for the parents. Oh, yeah. To, I mean, he looked like he was from a concentration camp. Oh, Honestly, yeah. I mean, he just looked like... Well, he was super malnourished. It looked like he was about to die at any second. I mean, what's the defining factor of kids versus adults? Like, kids that age, they have so much energy. Well, and he was 15. Why was he holding a teddy bear and opening a Mickey Mouse card? It's like he turned back into a three-year-old with the diapers, the baby food, couldn't do anything on his own, and now his parents are buying him little kid toys. And I don't know. Yeah. It's just really weird. I know. Um yeah, like I said, a kid this age should be full of energy. Getting their permit. Yeah, making, you know, gradually moving towards adulthood. Mm -hmm. But to see these pictures of someone and know they're 15 and they could be living a normal life if they were getting the proper treatment, most likely, mm -hmm. you know, but... So this next part is just terrifying. The neglect eventually led to Alexandru passing away when he was just 15 years old on May 7th, 2013. Get this, though. He weighed less than 37 pounds. Yeah, 37 pounds. So remember when we covered Imani Mas? We talked about how 70 pounds is an average weight for a 10-year-old girl. But Alex is a 15-year-old boy. Like, how could his parents let him get to this point? 
I did look it up, and a 15-year-old boy should typically be around 123 pounds. I can't even fathom how he could be under 37 pounds. That is ridiculous. It's disgusting. Like, like one quarter of what he should be. There's absolutely no way the parents didn't notice how decrepit, emaciated, uh-huh. pale, thin. I mean, it's just insane. It It's so upsetting. This story makes me so mad. Yeah, and just like with Imani, they just let him lay there and die. At the time of his death, his bed sores were so severe that his skin was wearing away in certain spots. One sore on his face was so bad that his jawbone was openly visible. Oh my gosh. His death was determined to be caused by, how do you say that? Septicemia. Or sepsis which is a type of blood poisoning caused by infections. Yeah, so I looked up the relationship between sepsis and diabetes, and I'm going to read what I found on sepsis.org. It says, The amount of glucose in your blood is important. By the way, glucose is the simple sugar that your body breaks down most sugars and carbs into for use, for energy. But anyway, it continues, Your body needs glucose for energy but too much of it can destroy body tissues and too little can starve your body of nutrients. Like we mentioned earlier, that's the difference between hyper and hypoglycemia. Um, People who have diabetes are also at risk of developing wounds and sores that don't heal well. While the wounds are present, they're at high risk of developing infection. And again, because of the diabetes, the infections can get severe quickly. When the when infection overwhelms the body, the body can respond by developing sepsis and going into septic shock. This is sometimes incorrectly called blood poisoning. Sepsis is the body's often deadly response to infection. So it's not um, sepsis isn't actually the poisoning of the blood itself. It's your body responding to that. So, sepsis kills and disables millions and requires early suspicion and rapid treatment for survival. Sepsis and septic shock can result from an infection anywhere in the body, such as pneumonia, influenza, UTIs. Worldwide, one-third of people who develop sepsis die, which is just a horrific death rate. Mm Mm-hmm. Many who do survive are left with life-changing effects such as PTSD, chronic pain and fatigue, organ dysfunction, and or amputations. So, it's some serious stuff. And the survival rate of sepsis is minuscule, you know? You'd think that with, um, as far as medical research has come that it wouldn't there'd be better treatment for it but in alex's case he didn't even know his parents didn't know they never took him to the doctor so i mean a lot of people might end up with this and not even know they have it until it's too late so it's Mm. just terrifying wow on the night of his death alexandria was laying in his parents bedroom He was emaciated so extremely that first responders described him as looking mummified. (sighs) That's so disturbing. So we want to warn you before we 
going to the next part. We're about to discuss some graphic descriptions here. Very graphic. The young boy's face had no visible flesh left on it. The responders could see the outline of his skull, and his jawbone was completely exposed. His face was covered in black necrotic sores. And necrotic sores are um, sores made from an accumulation of dead cells. Basically, you can get them before you die. Um, but it's like is that basically a big accumulation of dead? Are you getting cells them because you're skin. dying though? Yeah, and it remember how hyperglycemia can lo- lead to organ failure. I mean, your skin is an organ; it's part of your body, and mm. it starts dying off. With, I mean, who knows how many things he was suffering with in his body, and they said that there was no flesh left on his face like uh, i think it was, he was so emaciated his skin was so pulled back and oh my gosh cuz they said he looked mummified yeah but this little boy's body was literally dying before he did with those necrotic sores yeah and all because of his absolute idiot parents who wouldn't get him treatment like mhm <sighs> It just seems like they were too proud to admit they were wrong. And it almost seems like this poor kid was already doomed at three years old after his mother promised to prove the doctors wrong, you know? Mm. It's so unfair. It's just an unnecessary waste of life, and he should never have died. The responders estimated his waist was only three inches off the bed. He was skin and bones all around his body. He wore a t-shirt and a diaper, and his eyes were still open. Alexandru Radita had been neglected and starved to death. This is so cruel. Uh, Starvation and neglect is enough, but adding untreated diabetes on top of all that? So ridiculous. On February 18, 2014, nine months after the death of their son, Rodika and Emil Radita were finally arrested. They were charged with first-degree murder. When they were arrested, they were described as distrustful of authorities because of the experiences in their home country. Of course, they pled not guilty. After a trial lasting months, a Canadian judge found the parents guilty on their first-degree murder charges, and they were both sentenced to life in prison. Which sounds fair to me. And they knew he was dying. They were aware of his medical con- medical condition. They had seen many hypoglycemic events, and they still refused, refused to care for him. And based on his condition when he died, the neglect and abuse was much more extensive than what we know now. Like, how do you feel about this, Rosie? I feel so much anger. This case is so infuriating because they knew... They had, they went to the doctors, the doctors laid it out for them, and he was given the proper care at the foster home, mm-hmm. and they mean, they should have noticed at that time, like, oh, he's doing better with the foster parents, I guess we should keep it up. Yeah. And even though the doctor wanted to increase the insulin, who cares? Just do it. It's keeping your son alive and healthy. Well, that's what supportive parents would do. But, but. I just... The lack of love and... the Yeah, lack of humility. And common sense. 
like Hum- human common sense. It just yeah, it just really seems like they didn't have any humility to accept the fact that they didn't know everything. They could never say. I didn't know he was going to die. I mean, he was literally dying in front of them. They were nursing yeah. a dead boy at that point, you know? There was... Even uh, a couple months before, at his birthday party, those pictures, it was so obvious that those, he needed help. Those pictures were devastating. I mean, this kid is a, supposed to be a healthy teenager, ready to get his permit, hanging out with his friends. I think of my brother when he was 15, and... I mean, Alex was like a toddler at that point. Yeah, your brother was big and strong, and uh, it's there's just it's you wouldn't even know they're anywhere near the same age looking at them. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about this later, but they actually used those birthday pictures as like proof of how much they loved him because they threw him a birthday party. You can't in the trial. You can't but, use those as proof. For- yeah. As we'll it talk was, about later, it ends up blowing up in their face, but um, I don't want to spoil it. So there's a bit of controversy surrounding this case, like we talked about in the intro, um, you know, about different reasons people might refuse health care, because Alex's sister testified that the family didn't believe in doctors because of their religion. Now, depending on who you ask, this could be a mitigator. I mean... Just last month, the president of the U.S. said that health care providers have the right to refuse um, to provide treatment that violates their own conscience based on religion. And I don't want to get political or religious because those are literally the two things that we never want to discuss on the show. But <laughs> I just thought that was a fitting event to illustrate the conflicting viewpoints on the separation of church and medicine, you know. I think on the other side of that is the perspective um, that's pretty obvious to most of us. You know, doctors want to save lives. But all that said, this family belonged to the Romanian Apostolic Church, and there doesn't seem to be any doctrine in that church against medical treatment. In fact, there's another interesting detail about their pastor. Rosie, you want to talk about that? Yes. The pastor from Emil Redita's church, whose name is very Nikolai (laughs) Brancu. Thanks. Nikolai Brancu actually testified at the trial, and he said Emil attended frequently, usually by himself, but sometimes with family members. But he never remembered meeting Alex. He did not know about Alex, in fact. A few months before Alex died, Emil mentioned to Nikolai that Alex had cancer. But then a couple weeks later, he said that Alex was fine. Well, that's strange. Yeah, cancer is not really one of those things that just disappears. Um, But neither of those things are even true. I don't know why he's lying about cancer. Does Emil, like, think he's a doctor? Yeah, Nikolai actually visited the family's home the night of Alex's death, along with about six other people from the church. He said that the mother was lying beside Alex on the bed and touching him. He's the one who told the parents to call an ambulance immediately. But Emil spoke to his family privately first before calling the ambulance. So he, their pastor, told them to call an ambulance immediately. This proves that they weren't avoiding doctors for religious reasons. 
their pastor told them to call the ambulance. Mm. So that's a big hole in their defense. When EMS arrived, there were about 20 people kneeling on the floor, chanting and praying. At 10 p.m., Alex was legally declared dead. But there were also some interesting letters written by Emil that became part of the evidence. Rosie, you want to get into those? Yes. Back in 2004, Emil had posted letters to an online Romanian message board while in the custody battle for Alex. The letters indicate that Emil had a deep distrust of the Canadian doctors because they had forcibly handled his son, those were in quotes, by the way, and misdiagnosed him with diabetes. He wrote that the doctors had teamed up against them to tear their family apart. Why would they do that? Yeah. Why would the doctors want to do that? They literally are so busy. They don't have time to conspire against <laughs> your family, dude. I don't... I. Some people are just so eager to take personal offense, you know? Mm-hmm. So now we're going to read directly from what Emil posted. You want to read that? Yes, I do. He wrote, We believe in God and in his power of healing, but we know also God is the one who organized everything on earth, and therefore doctors are in his plan too. But confessing that in the front of one doctor cost us time spent in front of a court of justice... This is a weird phrase. This is phrasing. He's basically saying that confessing um, that the doctors knew what they were talking about made them end up in court. Okay. Okay. In front of court. Court of justice four times in three years, and we are not done yet. Family services want to take one one of my boys from us. So Emil seems to really hate the Canadian authorities and the fact that they may know something that he doesn't know. Now remember, this was back in 2004, nine years before Alex died, and now we have the foresight to see where the story went after Alex returned home, and it was just not good. The boy died, and it's just unforgivable. What's really scary is that on the outside... The family appeared to be normal and well-run, well-put-together. I mean, they had seven other kids that were just fine, but they really failed hard on one of them. And I don't know what to say besides it's so sad. And it must have been so terrible for the other boys to see their brother like that. Yeah, that's that's the thing I want to address, too, is these other kids, these poor kids... Who had to watch their brother die. Like, what were they thinking? What were they going through at that time? Yeah. And even now, their parents are facing charges. Well, we'll get more into <laughs> the trial later, but mm-hmm. that's had to be so difficult for the kids. Right. The social worker that had cared for Alex back in 2004, Patricia McDonald, actually wrote an impact statement for the trial. But she was never able to read it. In the statement, she talked about visiting Alex at his foster mother's home. She wrote, We were we were both so proud of you and how well you understand your diabetes. Your foster parents encouraged independence and had a range of food for you to choose from. Alex, you were so engaging when you attended appointments at the Children's Disability Center. All the staff were delighted to see you. It's the Children's Diabetes Center. <laughs> what did I say? Disabilities. Oh, 
Sorry. <laughs> However, these positive memories are shrouded by the torment that you must have experienced through all those years that followed. Yeah, so this is the social worker that was working for Alex when he did was taken away from his parents and put into foster care. Got it. When actually seems to be the best years of his life. Right. But, yeah. So, remember how they stopped going to the doctor after that visit in 2008? Well, there was another social worker when they attempted to make a connection with the family. Yeah, um... Another social worker testified that she had actually tried to follow up with the Raditas after they missed an appointment for January of 2009, but she wasn't able to get in contact with them. And then there was another social worker that testified that later she learned that Alex had been taken out of public school in September of 2008. And after this, she was told to close Alex's file due to insufficient information about him. What? So, let's put it this way. If Alex had a parking ticket, you can be sure they would have chased him down. But because it was, quote-unquote, just an endangered child, they closed it because they didn't want to put any more effort in, I guess. Which I know they have a lot to deal with. And I hope you can sense my sarcasm there. I'm just trying to lighten it up a bit here because it's... The way it turned out is just so frustrating. And I'm not blaming these social workers at all for what happened. But there's another interesting thing, too. Hmm. Prescription records showed thousands of dollars of diabetes-related drugs and equipment, like insulin, syringes, and test strips, purchased by the Raditas between 2009 and 2012. So it wasn't that they couldn't afford to get the proper care for this child. It was literally that they were just too proud and too self-reliant to get the proper help for their child, and they ignored the adjustment the doctor tried to make back in 2008 and took it into their own hands, thinking they knew enough to be able to handle it. So they did have all this stuff? Yeah. But they, they were They were trying to treat him on their own, I guess, but, I mean, he was in such bad shape. They had to know that it wasn't working. Yeah. And... They just decided they knew better than the doctors. The video we mentioned earlier of Alex at his birthday party was actually used as evidence in the trial by the parents to show how much they loved their child. And Alex's sister testified that Alex was one of his parents' favorite children. Doesn't seem like I know. like and that. This poor kid who's testifying just to try to save her parents, just to try to keep her parents in their, her life, you know? That's the one thing where this situation really sucks because if the parents go to prison, then they're not going to be there for the other seven kids. And that's mm -hmm. really sad for that family, you know? It's weird that Alex's sister testified that because... She's seeing what's happening to Alex, so wouldn't you think maybe she's the luckier one? Well, okay, you think about it this way. She's almost like an abuse victim, you know? You Children are quick to forgive their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't... Children don't want a big change-up in their life where all of a sudden their parents are gone, and she probably just wanted to testify... 
say something that would get her to be able to keep her parents. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's what I would imagine. Again, we don't know how old she was or her name because she's a minor and it's protected. But They seem to have a decent amount of kids, though. Seven kids. Oh, besides that's Alex. That's, that's a decent amount right there. Yeah. Crazy. So during the pl- trial, they played a video. You want to talk about that? Ugh, yeah. Um, they played a video that the girl had taken on a drive home from the Royal Terrell Museum of in Drumheller. It sounds really boring. <laughs> it sounds fancy to it me. It does sound very fancy. Uh, she was singing and making animal noises and providing commentary for the ride. In the video, you can hear the father, Emil, asking the children, Are you guys happy for today? That's interesting. The prosecuting attorney, Susan Pepper, said that Canada's social safety net had failed Alex and that there are probably other children in the same situation as Alex, being isolated by their parents so they can abuse and neglect their children. She said the system should be better, and this abuse should not happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, with all these cases we talk about, I'm starting to realize that the system can only really do so much, you know? The only thing that can really stop this abuse is if the abusers stop doing it. And we can't blame the social workers for the actions of the parents. We can't blame law enforcement. We can't blame the laws. It's the people actually perpetrating the crimes that are to blame. And I just wish people would stop doing this. And, I mean, that's why if we stop the cycle, it can really help. Like, look at these parents. They... We're so traumatized by their life, I guess, in Romania that they didn't want to subject themselves to authority figures in the U.S. or in Canada, mm-hmm. which that's sad in itself because, you know, they probably were traumatized by the right by the way they were right their life experiences. You it know, is. I don't know any details about it, but I know it probably was rough for them. Mm-hmm. The social worker that worked with Alex, Patricia McDonald, held back tears as she talked about the end of Alex's life. She said, quote, He went through a horrendous, horrible ending to his life, and I'm glad to see his parents are being held accountable. She said she wants to work with Canadian lawmakers to create Alex alerts, like Amber alerts for adopted children, but also for abuse victims, so that others might not suffer the way that he did. Yeah, which sounds like a great idea. Like Great um, idea, totally. It's basically the abuse version of Amber Alerts. Mm-hmm. To go along with her plan, she said, Alex was a very brave, a very smart little man, and he would have wanted for his life to have had meeting. He would have wanted for it to have brought about change for other children. Yeah, this would have been really awesome, and I really hope they go along with that plan. But I just want to say, like, we're not trying to say people don't have the right to select their own health care, you know? It's none of my business. <laughs> we all got to make our own decisions. I know there's a lot of people pushing their own opinions on health care and trying to impose those on other people. People just need to make their own decisions mm-hmm. and not try to say what other people should do with themselves. You know, everyone has to answer for their own actions. Everyone reaps what they sow. It's no one else's right to tell them 
what they should do. So it's a crazy world out there, a lot of differing opinions, and just try to take care of yourself and help other people not to get hurt. That's what I say. (laughs) Very interesting. Again, I don't think my opinion is important. (laughs) You sound so Midwestern when you go on rants. I'm not really going on a rant. I'm just trying to say that I would never... It's fine for me to make my own decisions for myself, but I would never try to impose those on other people or tell people what they should do. Even if I have my own strong beliefs, Mm -hmm. it's not my right or my responsibility to impose those ideas on anyone else. So I think that's the most tactful way I can put it. But with these parents, when it comes to another child's life, another person's life, to see your child so sick and still... Think you have it under control? Yeah. And this wasn't even based on religious convictions. Like they lied and said it was, you know? It was just based on them either being too proud or just hating authority so much that... They didn't want to get their little boy help. And there was something. There was something going on. Yeah. Maybe they'll say someday. Yeah. I just hope that the other kids are okay. Me too. That's the thing about that really sucks. Like, you want to be mad at these parents, and you want to be like, they should be in prison forever. But on the other hand, there's seven kids that are now probably entering in the foster care system themselves, mm-hmm. and they probably won't be able to all stay together. It's a huge change for them and they're losing their parents after losing their brother yeah there's justice the parents are going to serve their time but what about for those other kids Mm -hmm. there's never a perfect solution yeah there's always a price to be paid by innocent people when justice is served unfortunately that's so true you know Mm -hmm. but anyway that's the end of alexandru radita's story you know what's funny is that we said we were gonna say well, you said Rodica a couple times, and then we started going back to the other way. You know what? We're sorry about our pronunciation <laughs> issues. Okay, we've gotten a couple reviews about someone was upset that we're so bad at pronouncing things. Another person was upset that I cut off Rosie and correct her all the time. But, you mean the female. <laughs> oh, yeah. They called us the male and the female. But anyway. Um, it's okay. I you know what? Funny. We, <laughs> we, we're just doing what we can to bring light to these stories we don't really care about grammar well to a certain degree we do well yeah i mean english was actually my favorite my favorite school subject and that's why i like writing outlines and stuff like this but when you think about the big picture (laughs) does pronunciation matter that much compared to the issues we're discussing here there's such a small unimportant detail because the stories we're talking about are so much bigger than pronunciation. So anyway, that's how I feel about it. I'm in a very um, defending my beliefs mood right now, I guess. Yeah, you are, actually. It's cute, though. I like it when you get on your Good. your rants. I mean, everyone has convictions, and you got to be honest about them. So let's move on. Thank you again, Robin. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thank uh, you, Robin. That was a really interesting story to talk about. Yeah, I had never heard about this case until you said it. You, uh, you recommended it to us. So just so you guys know, we are now completely 100% focused on going through our listener request list, which is very long. But 
which means it's a lot easier for us to find cases to cover now. Yeah, so you guys are doing a little bit of the work for us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I never thought we would have so many listener requests that we didn't have to find cases for ourselves, but we really appreciate you guys keep sending in your requests because they really help us out mm-hmm. finding stories um, that need to have a voice and that will also be interesting for you guys to listen to. So that said, let's move on to the review portion of the show. Yes. Yeah. For the crappy couple of reviews that we've gotten this past week, we've gotten some really awesome reviews. Yeah. So this one is entitled genuine, refreshing and relatable five stars. It says, how do they know what I'm asking in my head? Really? Sometimes I'm asking something in my head after they describe scenes from a case And they start talking about it with each other because the same question comes up. I love how real and unscripted their conversations are, but they have what they need for notes to give us a story. I enjoy listening to Ryan and Rosie because of their honest and genuine interaction with with each other as they talk about tragic subjects. Most of all, I like to listen to this podcast because they are encouraging to us listeners and reveal empathy with victims as they give their opinions and feelings in each case. Thanks for the podcast, and keep up the great work, Rosie and Ryan. It's from Catherine Luz, I believe. (laughs) Luz or Luz, L-U-Z? Luz. If whoever, because there's no way for us to know who actually left a review from Apple Podcasts, but um, if you ever do want to reach out to us after you hear your review, feel free to, especially if we mispronounce your name, just let us know. <laughs> um, and we'll thank you again later. But yeah, Catherine Luz or Laws from the U.S. <laughs> I know we, we joke about negative reviews a lot, but we really do focus on the positive reviews. They're the ones that make us keep going because it's easy for us to kind of get crippled by self-doubt sometimes when we see bad reviews like is what we're doing really important but these good reviews really help us to keep like we are blown away by all the emails and reviews and just support we've gotten Mm -hmm. so thank you guys so much i guess we should talk about our patreon yeah yeah our friend ashley's coming over (laughs) in any minute now and we're gonna record what she there no i was just thinking does she want us to use her name ashley well she put it in the outline that she wrote so okay sorry i didn't mean to like no that's all right okay and um forgot what i was saying oh yeah we're recording another patreon episode exclusive about law and order svu so that should be interesting we already have five episodes up which are jared the subway guy henry lee lucas (laughs) darker side of disney uh help me out catch a predator oh yeah to catch a predator goofy encounters Mm -hmm. and movie set tragedies movie set tragedies after this law and order svu one we're going to be talking about crazy stuff that has happened at mall of america because there's been some crazy stuff happening and we live right next to it so we go there not that quite often You just said quite, and I said not very. Well, often compared to people that don't live here, I guess like twice a year, but mm-hmm. still. There was a really sad thing that happened there recently. Well, don't say it if it's going to be on our Patreon. Well, you can. I feel like this one, I don't want to like try to profit off of it by talking about it on our Patreon. A little boy was thrown off of a high area in the Mall of America. The third level, I believe. Third level, and it's a huge drop. He's in 
terrible condition, but this guy that just woke up one day and decided he was going to go to Mall of America and kill somebody, and he couldn't find anyone that he thought he would be able to lift and throw over the ledge that was close enough, and so he picked a little boy and threw him over the edge, and is that boy's name out there? Do you know? Um. Yeah, I think it is. I don't know what his name is. No though. way. I'm going to look it up right now. So Emmanuel Aranda is the man that threw the boy over the ledge. He's a 24-year-old idiot that just woke up one day and decided he wanted to kill somebody. The five-year-old boy was thrown over the third-story balcony of Mall of America, and he pled guilty on Tuesday, May 14th. So, yeah, that was really sad news that we heard from Mall of America. The little boy is known only as Landon. So, he suffered severe head injuries, broken bones. It's going to be terrible. You know, he'll probably never want to go to the mall or any public place with high balconies ever again his mom will never want to take him anywhere she's gonna be so traumatized yeah the family too so anyway we're really sorry to that family that had to deal with that and yeah we hope that he has a good recovery and that he's okay in the future and that he gets the help he needs but all right well let's wrap it up we thank you guys so much for listening. And make sure you take a look at our Patreon page and get some cool stuff. We'd really appreciate it. We've got our Threadless store up, and it's actually got some really comfy shirts on it. Yeah, the shirts are way better quality than I expected from a site like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast. Or feel free to email us at VOVpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and we're on Twitter at VOVpod for people who use Twitter. again thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week bye